Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening to the first episode of uh, Reboot Hell, a podcast where two uh, middle-aged dudes try and break into Hollywood by rebooting classic movies and TV shows poorly. My name is Joe Kropinski. Um I'm Danny, somewhat middle-aged woman reading script from middle-aged men. <laughs> uh, I'm Will. I am co-writer tonight, and um, I'm the one. Of the, yeah, I'm one of the middle-aged men. Yeah, <laughs> I should have just said that. <laughs> I'm Trey. I am a guest here. I don't know why. <laughs> we thank you, Trey. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for being here, man. So the basic idea of this is each week we're going to take a uh, a classic movie or TV show with a new genre. Will and I are going to write a script uh, based on that, and then we will do a table read of those scripts and discussion. That's essentially the concept. So this week we chose Casablanca as a sci-fi. Casablanca, I will uh, give just a quick summary of it. It's essentially a movie about a uh, bitter guy named Rick who runs a bar in Casablanca during World War II. And he has a woman that he had like an affair with uh, years ago. She comes back into his life with her new husband. And that's kind of what the movie's about. I didn't write anything down. I should have. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I think you got it. I think it's good. <laughs> that's essentially, it's a good, it's a good movie. And uh, these scripts are probably not going to reflect that. <laughs> that's, that's all right. But uh, yeah, we're going to start off with Will's script, Rick's Eternal Cafe. So I'll yes. let uh, Will introduce that. Uh, so my script tonight is Rick's Eternal Cafe, and it's basically a sequel to Casablanca if it was a Twilight Zone episode. Interior, Rick's Cafe, night. We open on a chessboard in the middle of a game. We see a plume of smoke cross the screen, then a hand move in, grab the knight, and take the queen. The camera pans up, and we see Sam, the pianist of Rick's American Cafe. He looks jolly, even though he knows he's just lost the game. Always get me in the end, boss. Cut to Rick, the very well-known owner of Rick's Cafe, Rick's American Cafe, sits across from Sam, smoking a cigarette with a drink by his side. You'll give me one day, Sam. You just wait. Sam begins to get up and return to his piano for the next song. Hey, Sam. Yeah, boss? We play something upbeat? I need a little hop in my step tonight. Sam smiles at Rick. You got it. Sam continues to walk to his... To walk his way to the piano, sits down and begins playing an upbeat tune. Some customers sitting in the cafe get up from their tables and make their way to the middle of the floor to dance. Rick takes a sip of his drink while watching everything for a little while. As he stares at the patrons enjoying Sam's piano skills, Louis, Rick's friend and former military captain in unoccupied France, swoops in and in- swoops in and into the chair adjacent to Rick. How's it going tonight, Rick? Same as every other night, Louis. It never changes here. Of course it does. Every night there's a new fight or a new ta- or a new high roller back at the craps table. This place is always moving. Moving around in circles, sure. Oh, Rick, you never enjoy yourself. Depends on the situation. Well, there's nothing for us to worry about here, so in this situation you should be doing whatever you want and enjoying life. Louie, if you really want me to enjoy myself tonight, please find another table to sit at. Louie doesn't take offense, though he might feel a little hurt. All right, Ricky, enjoy your solitude. I'll try again tomorrow. Maybe I should grab the red eye to America tonight. Hell will freeze over before that happens. Louis gets up from the table and heads to the bar. Rick watches him get a drink and start talking to someone at the bar. He finishes his drink and gets up from his chair. He starts to walk towards the front of the cafe while pulling another cigarette from his coat pocket. He gets close to the entrance, lights his cigarette, and stares at the doors. He watches some people come in and some people leave. Just smokes his cigarette and watches. He turns away after a while and makes his way to the bar. We see Sasha, Sasha the bartender, cleaning cleaning glasses. How's it going over here tonight? Uh, fine as always, Monsieur Rick. No trouble or riffraff? Unless you count Louie, none. Rick smiles and nods at Sasha. Thanks for that. And look, if Yvonne comes around, keep her here, please. The drinks are on the house, if need be. Please try my best, Monsieur. I wish your best was enough. It would save us both the trouble. Rick taps the bar and starts walking towards his office stairs. A couple people stop and say hello. He walks up the stairs and enters his office. Interior, Rick's cafe, Rick's office, night. Rick sits sits down in his chair and pours himself a drink. His desk is mostly clean, with a couple stacks of papers and writing utensils sitting on it. There are also three buttons that align the top of his desk. 
a red, a green, and a white button. Nothing fancy about them. They are just three opaque colored buttons. He doesn't pay them any mind and just takes a swig of his drink. He looks out the window at the night sky. Smoke fills the air around him while he watches the clouds pass. He turns his gaze to the buttons after a moment. He stares at each one intensely, as if he has a choice to make. A drag and a drink, a drink and a drag. He watches the buttons, almost waiting for them to move. He starts to inch towards the red button. His fingers extend outward, ready to strike. He holds his hand over the button for a couple of seconds before pulling back. He continues to stare at the buttons with a ferocity. He stamps his cigarette out in the ashtray, gets up out of his chair quickly, and walks out of the office. Interior Rick's Cafe, night. Rick emerges from his office and hurries down the stairs. Sam is at the piano playing another upbeat tune as Rick moves quickly to his personal table in the back, not paying a bit of attention to anyone that is trying to get his. He reaches his table, sits down, and starts reorganizing the chessboard. Readying for a new game, once the pieces are all set up, he takes a drink and lights up another cigarette. He knows his Carl, the cafe's main server and Rick's right-hand manservant, making his way through the tables. Rick motions Carl to come over. Carl sees him and nods in approval. Carl finishes with the finishes with the table he is at and walks over to join Rick. Yes, sir. Sit down and play a match with me, Carl. Oh, I wouldn't be much of a challenge, sir. I don't care about that. I just need something to take my mind away for a bit. All right, then. Carl pulls out the chair and has a seat. Rick pushes a glass over to Carl and fills it up. You have first move, Carl. Carl picks up the glass and drinks the entire thing in one gulp. Rick smiles, picks his glass up, and finishes it as well. Carl chooses to move a pawn first. Rick quickly brings out his knight right after. Another three moves, and Rick has got Carl in checkmate. Don't know how you do that. Spend every night in this place playing, you would. You're right. Too bad I have all these tables to serve. Some nights, I'd rather we switch places. Carl looks at Rick with surprise and anxiousness. Not tonight. Carl's expression drops. Of course, we mustn't deviate. Carl looks at Rick with a sadness he normally never displays. Rick's face mirrors his as Carl turns around, puts on a happy face, and starts working yet again. Rick takes a drag of a cigarette and fills his glass again. He rearranges the ch chess pieces back to their starting spots. He sits for a moment, taking in the club in this empty seat before him. He finishes his drink and gets up from the table. He walks over to the entrance of the cafe again. He smokes his cigarette and watches the flow of people, in and out, out and in. He finishes his cigarette and begins walking towards his office, again. This time, no one bothers him. They are all paying attention to Sam and his playing. The place is jumping, except Rick, of course. He makes his way up the steps and into his office. Interior, Rick's Cafe, Rick's Office, Night. Rick walks in and goes to his desk, pours another glass of booze and swigs it down. He turns in his chair so his back is to his desk. He stares out the window yet again. When whatever he is thinking about is not very joyful. The sorrow is on his face and in his eyes. He pulls out his cigarette case and lights up another. The smoke mixes with the night clouds. Rick takes one last gaze before turning around to his desk. The buttons. Those three buttons sit right in front of him. The moonlight illuminates them more than before. Rick stares with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He reaches for the bottle, pours yet another drink, and swiftly swallows it down. His focus goes from one button to the next. He takes one last drag of a cigarette, snuffs it out in the ashtray, then quickly hits the white button, as if he's ripping off a band-aid. Nothing happens, but Rick looks as if he's chosen something serious. He gets up out of his chair, adjusts his suit, and begins walking towards the door. Interior, Rick's Cafe, night. Rick walks out of his office and down the steps. This time, he walks directly to the entrance of the cafe. He stands in the usual spot, and he lights up yet another cigarette. This seems to be routine for Rick. What is he staring at as the doors open and close? What is he thinking? What is he waiting for? He stands there as usual and smokes. The doors open and close, again and again. Random patrons entering and exiting. Rick continues to stare, nothing breaking his concentration. Then the door opens and Rick's expression changes. In through the door walks Ilsa, Rick's former lover who escaped from Casablanca to America years earlier with Rick's help. She walks in looking just as good to him as she did all those years ago. He digs his cigarette into the ashtray, then Ilsa spots him. She sees him, and a smile forms on her face as big as can be. Rick? Ilsa, I didn't expect to see you here tonight. You didn't? Well, I guess things never change, do they? I guess not. Where's Victor? I don't know. Do you? Why would I know? Your guess would be as good as mine. Rick ponders for a moment, then shakes the curiosity off. You want me for a drink? Of course, though only one. I'll take what I can get. Rick smiles at Ilsa, then they begin to walk over to his table. 
Rick pulls out the chair for Ilsa, then she sits down. Rick joins her and begins pouring two drinks. He slides one over to her. Why, thank you. Only top-notch service here, kid. No wonder you're still in business. This place is never closing. Not even if I wanted it to. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Depends on the evening. I'd say tonight is leaning towards good now. You always know how to make a girl feel good, Rick. That's all I ever wanted for you. Besides a few hiccups here and there, I'd say you did a good job. Hey, I'll drink to that. Rick raises his glass, and Ilsa does the same. They both take a sip and sit the glass back down. Rick lights a cigarette and takes a drag. He motions to the chessboard in front of them. Play a match with me? Oh, Rick, you know how it goes with this game. Yeah, yeah, that's besides the point. You have another gulp or two of that drink till you're gone, so humor me, won't you? Just don't drag it out to keep me here longer. Of course, what do I look like? You really don't want me to answer that. Rick laughs and put his cigarette down. Your first move. Ilsa moves the middle pawn out into the board. So far, so good. Don't taunt me, Rick. Rick smiles at her and moves a knight out onto the board. A knight in shining armor. You never change your first move. How would I if it always works? We'll see about that. Ilsa brings out her queen right beside all her pawns. Going big out of the gate. I like your style tonight. It's my style every night, Rick. You know that. Rick picks up his glass and holds it near his face. Enough of this stuff and you'll go a little hazy too. Rick finishes the drink before putting the glass down. He stares at the board for a while before moving the knight again, inching towards Ilsa's side of the board. Don't need any other piece, do you? I know what I'm doing. Ilsa takes a sip of her drink and smiles at Rick, slyly. She then takes her queen and moves it closer to Rick's side of the board. Ain't that the pot calling the kettle black? I know what I'm doing, too. Rick stares at the board again, calculating his move in his head. Ilsa watches his eyes dart around the board. He finally grabs a pawn and moves it forward, allowing for his bishop to move next round. The knight needs a break every once in a while. Just a small one. Rick fills his glass once more as Ilsa looks over the board. She moves a bishop out right near the middle of the board. Big move. You're leaving your king very open. I am, aren't I? Ilsa takes a small sip from her glass, leaving enough for one last drink. Rick studies the board and moves his bishop closer to Ilsa's side, zoning in on her king. I'm trying to take it easy on you, but boy, are you making it difficult. Ilsa smiles at Rick. I told you I know what I'm doing. Rick gives her a head nod and a smile. Ilsa then grabs her queen and moves it closer to Rick's army of plastic. Rick answers with his knight, moving it onto her pawns. He takes a pawn and puts Ilsa in check. Check. Ilsa moves her king out of harm's way. As I expected. Rick goes to move his king out of the way, then notices how Ilsa could take it. He, ins he instead moves his bishop again, closer to the battle. Ilsa smiles. Rick smiles back at her. She then grabs her queen and moves it on into a checkmate on his king. As wide as she left hers open, she only had a sliver of space to take down his castle. Ilsa then grabs her glass and finishes off her drink. Checkmate. Rick looks at the board then at Ilsa, and sits back in his chair. He's dumbfounded, yet look, yet he looks up at Ilsa and smiles. I thought I had to. On the contrary, I'll always have you, Rick. They both share a gaze for a moment, feelings passing without any words. Ilsa puts her hand on one of Rick's, or at least tries to. Her hand turns into a blur of static and electronic noise and goes right through Rick's. She doesn't notice, but Rick does. He stares at her ghostly hand as it seems to have merged with his, the expression from earlier in the night comes back. Ilsa lifts her hand, gets up out of the chair, and looks at Rick. I'll be seeing you, Rick. We both know this isn't the last time we'll meet. Rick stares at her with a look of longing. That we do, kid. Ilsa looks at Rick for a moment, then turns and walks away. Rick watches her until she turns a corner and is out of his sight. He sits there for a moment, staring at the chessboard, looking at the pieces. He lights up a cigarette, then picks up his knight. He studies it for a moment, then places it down next to Ilsa's queen. The pieces start. The pieces almost stand arm in arm, if they could. Rick gets up out of his chair and begins his journey to his office again. Carl sees him and gives him a nod. Rick returns the nod. Sam and Sasha also nod at Rick when he passes them. He returns theirs as he reaches the steps. He walks slowly up the stairs until he comes to his office door and opens it. And Siri, Rick's cafe, Rick's office, night. Rick enters his office and sits at his desk. He takes one last drag of a cigarette and puts it out. He looks at the buttons on his desk, then presses the red button. Smash cut to 
Interior, white room. We are now in a white room with Rick sitting in a chair in the middle. Though this isn't the same Rick from before. This Rick is older. His skin is wrinkled and his body looks smaller and frail. There is a futuristic device on his head that covers the top of his head and eyes with wiring running out of it. They travel onto the floor and out of our vision. All of a sudden we hear a voice. Are you sure you want to end the simulation? Cut 2. Interior, headpiece, POV of Rick. There are two options in front of Rick's eyes, quit or continue, red and green buttons respectively. Cut to, interior white room. Rick sits there for a moment, the room doesn't change and he doesn't move. What is your choice, sir? Rick stays quiet for a while, then... Cut to, interior headpiece, POV of Rick. Continue. The green button lights up and the screen goes black. The end. It was all a simulation. Yeah! That sad motherfucker Rick. <laughs> You're the sad motherfucker you wrote it. No, it's him. He feels that. I didn't know. <laughs> so, Will, since it's your script, I figure I would start off the uh, discussion with you, kind of what appealed to you about the idea, that kind of shit. Um, I think when, uh, so I hadn't seen the movie in a long time, and then uh, we rewatched we re it for the podcast. And uh, the thing that struck me the most was just how lonely Rick is. Even with all the people around him, he's just a lonely, lonely dude. And he, uh, it's all because of her, you know, he's, she's not around. So that's just how he feels. And it, that just kind of popped up the idea because it was sci-fi. I just had the idea of that he, the way he wants to live the rest of his life is in his cafe. The best it, could, it was, you know, for him. That's, that's where that, that's where it came from. I definitely get that, uh loneliness from rick i mean we're gonna we'll see my script is different but uh kind of covers some similar thematic uh areas but yeah i think you totally nailed like the uh black mirror kind of twilight zone feel like mm -hmm. i don't know I, I also like the fact that you know a lot of the times with these with, like simulations people generally don't go for like perfect worlds you know <laughs> like they yeah. usually go for like like something closer like Something, you know, like just normal life, but then they help. There's always like the one element that they, that you only really tool around with that makes them happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, because if everything's perfect, I guess they'd go insane. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I kind of got Eternal Sunshine vibes from it a little bit. Oh, yeah? In the end. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit? Kind of what I get from it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you... like Black Mirror, yeah. Twilight Zone, obviously, type thing. Some sort of futurist device that helps you with your with your loneliness or whatever yeah yeah or uh or even a device um to like make it okay well not okay but make it more comfortable for you when you die kind of thing like, i didn't even think about that when i was writing it but yeah that makes sense mm -hmm. y'all ever have y'all ever played the game to the moon or gone through that yes i love that game it's 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 a very heart-wrenching game it's it's definitely um hits you everywhere and the the, the premises if y'all have i don't know if danny and will if y'all played it but the premise is essentially it's not it's it's mostly just like a more like just like an adventure game not really it's not even but it's not there's not really much of a challenge to it just mostly just for like the presentation of you going mm -hmm. through it and it's about this company they developed this like simulation device where you can essentially go through your entire life and it'll change it'll go through your your all your memories but you can change one or two things about it but this is only given to like people that are on their deathbed because it'll like overwrite who you are as a person um depending on what you change so uh i, I forgot what the the old man wanted up changing about his life but i i don't know i kind of got that vibe from it a little bit if that was where y'all were going with it or if it was just him remembering or not uh, what whatever you want to take it as, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I, like I said, uh, my whole my when I was writing it, my thing was it was just it, it, he was just reliving a moment as much as he could. Okay. I don't know if he was like editing things, like no, or if he had changed anything, or if this was just like like a flashback, but you know, in simulated form. Yeah, pretty much. It's like he took it's like he takes the, his favorite parts of his life there and put them into one thing. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I love to the moon, and I definitely I definitely see that vibe. Um, 
those games, that and uh, Finding Paradise, which is like the quasi-sequel to it, are totally worth finding and playing. They're closer to like a visual novel than they are at Mac. Yeah, exactly. It's a good indie game, and it's like, for, you can get it for like five bucks. Yeah. But just make sure you have tissues at the end. Oh, is it sad ending? I mean, it's it's bittersweet. It's not like the Green Mile type of you know sad. It's it's like weird weird point of reference. To I know, I'm just trying, I'm trying to say like the saddest movie I've seen in recent memory, and that that one just always gets me for some reason. Uh, I mean, the mouse lives, so that's nice, but uh, I don't know. Um, I think bittersweet is the good thing, like. Well, actually, kind of like Casablanca, really. It's that's not like it's not like a tragic ending. Everybody's in a good place by the end of it. It's just they're not together, but they're not. You know, it's like you're sad that they're not together, but you're also like, no, this is he's right. This is they need to be where they are. You know, he needs to help out people here, and she needs to go with him, and that's just how it is. Yeah. You know? I guess uh, if you were, is there anything you learned from you know writing? this script that you would maybe do differently on the next one or going forward? Um, I think I'm going to rehearse it more for our next mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> I'm going to read through it out loud once or twice just to kind of get the flow of it. Uh, Cause it sucks. It's like, it's like, even though you re- write something, you never really say it out loud a lot. So when you say it out loud, it definitely comes out differently and i I just want to get a flow better for for how i want you know i also i i should probably cut down i'm not writing a fucking novel i should cut (laughs) a lot of the uh there's a lot of description (laughs) the imagery out i well i don't know if that's good you know for it being audio i don't know if that's good or bad i guess we'll see well maybe uh, people listen to this they can let us know did you like it did did you hate it Uh, i'll cut it down if you hated it i was actually thinking um and we'll see this in my script but the way you write uh you know, screen directions and all that stuff and the way I do are very different. And I think mm-hmm. it kind of speaks to that we're very different, like, in terms of, like, filmmaking, because I know you you want to write stuff and then shoot it. Like, not necessarily this, but that's why yeah. you write, just to have something to shoot. And yeah. I can't think of anything more boring to me than being on a fucking film shoot. Like, I... Yeah. I like post or pre-production. I love post-production. I just have no desire to like ever shoot anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it can be tedious. Uh, it very much so can yeah, be tedious. It is. <laughs> I think that's the the difference in writing style kind of speaks to that. Where like you are writing much more of a blueprint for like if you were to shoot this, you know your shots and all that stuff. Whereas yeah. Mine is, like, written to give to somebody to direct. Like, here, you, this is the story. You figure out it, you figure it out visually. Like, mm-hmm. you know, unless there's, like, a transition I feel really strongly about. Like, I'm, like, fucking cut to next thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't wait to read your script now. So, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's wildly different, and I, and I love it. I I uh, I want to know one thing. I want to know because I, I did ask this when we did the dry read um, for for people listening. Did you do you think the name gives too much away? It's just I just I just want to know people's opinions so. on that. Um, I feel like it could or it couldn't. You didn't feel that way, Trey? Not really. I thought it was solid too. Cool. Thank you. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I think it's all right. I mean, to know what you're going in for, I don't think it like gives it away the specifics of what it's going to be, but it sets the right you know mood tonally i guess yeah yeah as does yours thank you so yeah we can uh we can go to the next one so now we're going to be reading my script of all the nazi robot moon bases in all the world (laughs) act one fade in exterior airstrip night rick and louie watch ilsa's plane fly off to america close on rick's face following the plane dissolve to Interior Rick's Cafe, night. Rick sits nursing a scotch at the bar while Sasha, the bartender, flirts with a pretty woman. Title over, five years later. Two loud knocks on the bar shake Rick out of his daydream. He looks up to see the woman waiting expectantly. I was hoping you'd have a drink with my friends and I. She gestures toward a table of women, pretending not to watch the exchange. Sorry, sweetheart, I don't drink with customers. I tried to tell her. You're just no fun, Rick. 
Rick raises his glass to her as she slinks back. How can a man look at a woman like that with a frown on his face? You know why, Sasha. It's none of my business, I know. But I hate to see you just waiting out your life here. You're right, it's none of your business. Just keep the drinks coming. You got it, boss. Rick's Cafe, later. The last patrons file out the front door. Rick stumbles out, bottle of scotch in one hand, cigarette in the other. Should I call you a cab, Rick? Rick waves us off. He looks up to see Ilsa approaching. Guess I had a few too many. Rick rubs his eyes. When he looks up, Ilsa is standing in front of him. Her eyes briefly light up. She shakes it off. She looks much older than she should. You came back. Sorry about this, Rick. A flash of metal as Ilsa knocks Rick over the head with a small weapon. Interior. Future Nazi torture room. <laughs> Victor sits tied up and bloody in a chair. Do what you have to. I won't tell you where she is. A robotic hand clutches his throat. You will. Pull out to reveal a robot wearing a Nazi uniform. Cut to black. Act two. <laughs> Fuck me. This is stupid. Act two. Interior. Mysterious room. Unknown. Rick slowly opens his eyes. He's on a cot in a dark room. He makes his way to the door. Interior. Even more mysterious room. Continuous. Rick is immediately shocked. Electronic panels line the walls. A giant, a giant control panel taking up the other end of the room. In the middle, Ilsa sits at a table with a newspaper. Ilsa? She pulls a pistol and trains it on Rick before quickly lowering it. Sorry, force a habit. Sit down. Rick takes a seat. Where? This will go faster if you just let me talk. She slides the paper to him. On the front is a picture of Adolf Hitler on the lawn of the White House. A Nazi flag raised over it. He's joined by two robots in Nazi uniforms. What is this? Quiet. The first thing you should know is that on April 30th, 1945, Adolf Hitler faked his death. Interior. Nazi war room. Flashback. Nazi brass sit around a long table, arguing silently. When it became clear that Germany could not win the war, they devised a new plan. Let the world think they'd given up. Interior. Unknown bunker. Flashback. Adolf Hitler pours over a copy of the Necronomicon by candlelight. Over the next 15 years, they secretly poured research into occult and extraterrestrial forms of power, anything to give them an edge. Exterior, park, flashback. Families sit on picnic blankets watching a fireworks show. Nobody really knows how he did it, but on July 4th, 1960, Adolf Hitler announced his resurrection by destroying the moon. Suddenly, a massive explosion covers the moon. As the dust settles, a massive swastika is revealed where the moon was. Interior. Even more mysterious room continuous. Rick sits dumbstruck as Ilsa tosses him another paper, reading Adolf Hitler alive, showing the destroyed moon. Now you're gonna help me put him back in the ground. This is impossible. It's nonsense. Oh, we're sitting in a time machine. Sorry. The room suddenly jolts. We're here. She leads him outside. Exterior, New York City, alley, night. A sleek metallic ship sits in a dirty alleyway. A ramp extends and a door opens. Ilsa exits, followed by Rick. Welcome to 1970, Rick. Rick gazes up to see the same destroyed moon in the sky. Ilsa presses a few bricks at the wall. A hole appears next to it, revealing a hidden door. Come on. Exterior, Rick's Cafe, night. Title over, 1947. Two robot Nazis approaching in it. Interior, Rick's Cafe, continuous. The doorman attempts to stop them and is shot, leaving a gaping hole in his chest. Sasha drops the glass he was polishing as they approach. One produces a picture. Where is this man? <laughs> Clearly terrified, Sasha takes the picture. It's Rick. Never seen him before. The intruders look at each other. How's the hard way then? <laughs> Exterior, Rick's cafe, moments later. The windows and doorway light up with green light and gunfire. Interior, Rebel Hideout, continuous. Ilsa checks the locks and turns to Rick, waiting in the spark shabby room. We're safe here. I know you probably have some questions. I've got plenty, but I'll start with the obvious one. Why am I here? They have my husband. You're gonna help me get him back. You need my help? Why? I haven't heard a word from you in five years, so why pick me? I didn't pick you. They did. Rick looks around the empty room, sarcastically. Who? The Nazis, Rick. They know everything. Everywhere I've been, everyone I've loved, they want to flush me out, and they're erasing everyone I could turn to for help. What do you mean, they picked me? I followed their ship to your time. It was pure luck that I got there first. 
a realization hits Rick. We have to warn everyone! There's nothing we can do. They're most likely already dead. Rick slumps to the floor. How could you do that? Leave everyone to die. I didn't have a choice, Rick. He's my husband. I need a drink. Ilsa thinks on this for a moment. It's a bad idea, but she needs Rick on her side. Fine, let's go. Interior, dive bar, night. Rick and Ilsa enter a very grimy bar. Everyone stops to look at the man in the strange clothes until Ilsa shoots a look. Rick grabs a seat at the bar. Finally, something in this place makes that, that makes sense. A short, almost translucent white alien emerges from a door behind the bar. Spoke too soon. Hey Al, scotch on the rocks and whatever he wants. Sure thing, Ilsa. Albie begins to make the drinks. So you're the guy, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Rick Blaine. Rick hesitantly extends his hand. Albie puts a drink in it and slides one to Ilsa. Albie, pleased to, uh, make your acquaintance, is that right? I'm gonna watch the door. Just keep him company, would you? Ilsa grabs a table in a dark corner, facing the door. She cautiously sips her drink, hand on her pistol at all times. She's changed so much. What happened to her? Sorry, pal. Not my story to tell. What I can tell you is that there isn't a person here who wouldn't take a bullet for her in a heartbeat. She's taken one or two for most of us, myself included. Rick steals a glance at Ilsa, on alert as he sips his drink. Dissolve to exterior dive bar later. Rick and Albie drink and laugh together at the bar like old pals. And she actually knocked you out. Rick leads forward to show Albie the bruise left on his head. Out cold. Yeah, that sounds like Ilsa. Ilsa sneaks up to the bar. We have to get out of here now. Come on, lighten up. I was just starting to have fun. Keep your voice down. We need to go. What's the hurry? Rick looks over his shoulder to see two Nazi robots entering the bar and scanning the crowd. One of them spots Rick. He's here! I'll hold them off, just go. Albie beckons Rick. He watches the two robots approach Ilsa before fleeing through the back door. Interior, dive bar, kitchen, continuous. Albie rushes Rick through a large kitchen filled with multicolored aliens, all smoking cigarettes and cooking weird alien foods. They push through another door. Exterior, dive bar, back door, continuous. Waiting for them outside are three more robots with weapons drawn. Rick and Albie put their hands up. Ilsa. Interior, jail cell, later. Rick and Albie are thrown in a very dirty jail cell by a robot guard who then sits down to read a newspaper. Now what? Albie produces a bottle of booze out of thin air, tosses it to Rick. He makes another for himself. Bottoms up. Interior, interrogation room, unknown. A robot Nazi punches Ilsa in the face hard. Easy on yourself. You're going to die here. Tell me where the weapon is and it'll be quick. Ilsa spits blood at her captor. I don't know. I like my odds. The robot shakes his head, punches her in the stomach. Interior jail cell, moments later. Rick and Albie sit in their cell, drinking. Can I ask you something? Shoot. We may not make it out of here. Will you tell me what happened to Ilsa now? Albie thinks a moment, takes a big swig. She's gonna kill me. Exterior, American airstrip, flashback. Ilsa and Victor step off the plane and look around. Tried to have a normal life with Victor in America. No more fighting, no more revolution, just a quiet life. Interior, film cutting house, flashback. Ilsa sits at a station cutting film in a sea of other women doing the same. She got a job cutting movies. It wasn't much, but it was hers. That lasted until she had a son. Interior, Ilsa's son. Ilsa's home, flashback, later. Ilsa lays in bed, holding a baby boy. Victor beams with pride next to her. For a while, they were happy. She had a normal life, until she didn't. Interior, Ilsa's home, flashback. Ilsa, Victor, and their son, now about ten years old, eat dinner. The door to their home bursts open, revealing a robot Nazi. They try to run, but the son is shot in the process. Interior, car, flashback. Victor speeds down a highway. Ilsa, in the backseat, cradles the dying boy's head. Her eyes burn with pure rage. Dissolve to interior, interrogation room, continuous. Close up on the same eyes, older but still burning. She's watching her captor speak on a walkie-talkie outside her room. Doesn't care if she lives or dies, and that's why she'll live. The robot comes back in the room. It's your lucky day. The boss wants you to handle you personally. Might even see your husband before he kills you both. He approaches her, a little too close. Your knots could use some work. Shine? Her legs freed from the rope. She hooks them behind her captor's feet, 
pulling them out from under him. As he hits the ground, she crushes his head with her right foot. Elsa pulls a weapon off the body and exits. Interior jail cell moments later. Albie catches Ilsa's eyes through a window into the hall. He holds up one finger, gesturing his head towards the, dis- the distracted guard. Need a distraction. Rick thinks for a moment. Hit me. Right now. I'll kill you! <laughs> <laughs> he slugs Rick, who goes down. The guard rushes in to break up the fight. Rick smashes his bottle over the guard's head. Ilsa enters and shoots the guard. Nice work. Tricks of the trade, I guess. Ilsa cracks the first smile Rick's seen from her in a long time. Let's go. Go where? Interior, police hangar, moments later. The three stand before a row of small spacecraft. Rick is terrified. Albie silently produces a new bottle of scotch and tosses it to Rick. If I'm gonna die, I'm not gonna do it sober. Cut to exterior, hangar bay, moments later. A ship blasts off out of the hangar into, into the night. Interior, unknown room, unknown. In a dark room, a man watches security footage of the scene we just saw. He's laughing. We push in to see the reflection of a glowing red eye on the screen. <laughs> Interior, spaceship, cockpit, later. Ilsa pilots the surprisingly roomy ship. Rick sits down in the seat next to her. Hey. It shouldn't be long now. Okay. Rick steals himself to say something hard. When you showed up at the cafe, the way you looked at me... Like, like you hadn't seen me in a hundred years. He pauses. I never see you again, do I? You told me to go, Rick. I know I did. I just always thought you'd come back someday. We had the time that we had, and it was good, Rick. It really was. But that was a long time ago. I moved on, had a whole life. She gestures towards the ever-present bottle in Rick's hand. Maybe it's time you did the same. Grab a suit, we're almost there. Exterior, moon base, later. The ship approaches the moon, now revealed to have a huge structure built on top of it. Interior, spaceship, continuous. Rick and Albie don cool-ass spacesuits. Ilsa enters and hikes up her right hand leg. What are you doing? You didn't tell him? Nope. She squeezes her calf muscle and her leg opens up, revealing a metal chamber with a small pistol inside. What is that? The (laughs) The gun that's gonna kill Adolf Hitler. Albie grabs a bigger rifle from the wall and tosses Rick another one. Exterior, moon base, continuous. A cannon on the surface fires a shot at the ship, narrowly missing. Interior, spaceship, continuous. Ilsa, space suited up, runs to the cockpit. Grab a hold of something. Rick and Albie grab hold of a railing on the wall. Here's looking at you, kid. A6! <laughs> <laughs> Exterior, moon base, continuous. Another shot. This one punctures the wing and rocks the ship. Interior spaceship continuous. Albie is thrown across the ship from the impact. Albie! Ilsa steers desperately towards the structure. Hang on. Exterior moon base continuous. The ship crashes through a window. Act 3. Interior moon base hall. Moments later. The hall is just carnage. Ilsa and Rick emerge from the destroyed spaceship. Albie? Ilsa shakes her head. Ahead of them are two huge doors. They step over a sea of destroyed robots and enter. Interior, inner sanctum, continuous. Inside is a throne room. On the throne sits Robo-Hitler. Half man, half robot. Flanking him are two Nazi robots. Victor tied and beaten between them. Halt or- Rick shoots the robot mid-sentence. Ilsa takes the cue and shoots the other. You know how to make an entrance, I'll give you that. Ilsa pulls out the small pistol and trains it on Robo-Hitler. You know what this is, right? In a flash, Robo-Hitler smashes the button on the side of his throne. The roof of the room opens up to the empty space above. Metal plates close in on Robo-Hitler as he is raised up, revealing a gigantic mech suit. He has become Mecha-Hitler. Ilsa <laughs> takes a shot, but it glances off. Did you really think that I was that easy to kill? He takes a step towards them, depressing a hidden panel on the floor. A click. Ilsa dives away, but Rick is not fast enough. Below Rick, the floor springs up, pushing him out the roof. He fires a desperate shot. It bounces off. Exterior space, moments later. Rick watches, helpless, as Ilsa tries to survive below. He's not moving fast, but he can't get back either. He struggles, but there's nothing he can do. 
He fired a few shots to glance off and speed him up just a hair. He quickly turns the other way and fires. It's working. He's slowing down. He's almost there when he hears the click of the empty gun. In the last-ditch effort, he throws the gun and stops. He's suspended, motionless, as the woman he loves faces certain death. Interior, hotel, flashback. We see Rick and Ilsa in Paris. Interior, Rick's cafe, flashback. We see Ilsa sitting at a table with Victor, catch Rick's eye. Interior, spaceship, cockpit, flashback. We see Ilsa piloting the ship. Exterior, space, continues. Rick turns away. I can't watch this. He fishes out the bottle Albie gave him. He toasts to the empty space above. Bottoms up, Al. Rick. He looks down. Ilsa is done for. There's nothing I can do. I'm sorry, Ilsa. I love you. Enraged, he throws the bottle away as hard as he can, and he starts moving. Interior, inner sanctum, moments later. Cornered, Ilsa looks up to see Rick falling out of the sky like a shooting star. He pushes off the bottom of the roof to gain speed. She rolls out of the way as he crashes into Mecha Hitler, toppling him. He hits the ground, the glass protecting him shatters. Ilsa limps over, holding the pistol. Funny thing about this gun. I built it using the same alien tech you've got grafted onto your body. That you used to build all your robots out there. She pushes the broken mech head with her foot. When I put this bullet in the burnt-out lamp you call a heart these days, it won't kill just you. It'll kill every machine you ever built. She points the pistol right between his eyes. You should have stayed dead. Nine! She pulls the trigger. Interior, moon base, hall, moments later. The big door is open. Ilsa, Victor, and Rick limp down the hall past the destroyed ship as Nazi robots deactivate and crumple around them. Exterior, moon base, air trip, moments later. Mirroring the final shot of the film, they walk towards a fleet of waiting spaceships. Looks like I owe you one, Rick. Two by my count. Thank you for helping me get my husband back, Rick. Hey, we'll always have Hitler's Nazi robot moon base. Fade out. The end. Yay. <laughs> oh. God, it's stupid every time I read it. It's so great. I thought it was beautiful, Joe. It was a mix of Casablanca, Wolfenstein, and that. It was, there's a movie about Nazi moon bases, isn't there? Was it a James Bond movie? Yeah. No, no, no. That was that was just some European guy who just wanted to create the perfect. I don't know who's weird. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie about, like, the Nazis built a moon base, and then they attack Earth. Iron Sky, that's it. Oh, yeah. I have not seen that, but I'm gonna have to watch it. I mean, this, you've already, you already have better writing in this, this rough draft than (laughs) they do. So, I, I, and it's still a, it's a, it's an interesting movie. Apparently Nazis and the moon just go together so well, for some reason. Yeah. But yeah, it was a uh, when we kind of came up with the idea of this. I pitched Casablanca as the first movie because it's I loved that movie, and Will pitched sci-fi, and immediately yeah. I knew I wanted time travel in it. Like, <laughs> I, I just I I love time travel stories. I think they are very like difficult to write, which is why there's not a lot of time travel in my story. Difficult to actually make sense and yeah. enjoyable. I feel like you just gotta let that go, though, because, like, time travel just doesn't make sense. And I realized, I don't know, I think Looper kind of addresses it the best when, uh, what's it, fucking the older version of the guy is like, he says, like, we're not gonna sit here and talk about time travel rules. Whatever that line is. Just shut the fuck up about it. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's stupid. Yeah. I, I, would, I would believe that Bruce Willis asked for that line to be in there because he didn't understand what was going on. And yeah. he's just like, I'm not, listen, listen. It'll I help fought a guy, <laughs> I'm used to just fighting terrorists in a, you know, a, a skyscraper. I don't need this crap. Just fucking make it simple, <laughs> all right? I'm doing this to look cool, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I knew Will was kind of going more serious because we had discussed what we were going to do a little bit. So yeah. I just kind of feel like I'm going to make this as goofy as fucking possible. I'm really glad that you did because you doing that also pushed me to go the even more the opposite direction than I already was. So it kind of we kind of helped each other out. Like, Yeah. There was a movie where 
I, I, I'm not. I hope I'm not interrupting. But there was a movie that with time travel, where the, the someone was his mother, his father, and his son, or just it was like the most insane shit I've ever seen. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. No. Yeah. All right. They all time travel. It or it was weird. I don't know how we did it. Wait, I took I, that as. The mother, the father, and the son were the same character. Is that it's like every said? everybody in this family is the same person, just at, at different points and different, I guess, surgeries in their lives somehow. Like it doesn't. It, it's huh. that Bob Dylan yeah, movie where they. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Is there time travel in that movie? <laughs> I hope it might so. be. <laughs> I feel like Bob Dylan was already. He's just always time traveling. Yeah. Why so chill? Everything. Oh, I, it's called it's all you zombies. That's what's called. So the summary is it chronicles a young man later revealed to be intersex, taken back in time and tricked into impregnating his younger female self before he underwent sexual reassignment surgery. He thus turns out to be the offspring of that union with the paradoxical result that he is his own mother and father. So. fucking <laughs> yourself. That sounds As the, it, it's revealed that all the major characters are revealed to be the same person at different stages in their life. Like, how is that? Does it even? What? Somebody <laughs> was trying to make a real statement with that movie. <laughs> like, I could understand if you went to like a dimension, like if there was like multiple dimensions, where you know what I mean, like, but also like time. But it's like the exact same dimension, except everybody, you know. More people are left-handed than right-handed. That's the difference. I don't know. Just simple differences like that. But that just seems so crazy. So <laughs> the movie you want is essentially the one just with fucking. <laughs> it's different dimensions. But Pretty much. They just all fuck each other. Pretty much. They made that, Joe. It's somewhere out there. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't even know. It just... Bob, I mean, how could you not tell that you though is a better question. Exactly. Like, even if I was, I, 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 if I saw, if someone were to do a, a artist rendering of me as a woman, even if without that picture, I would know that's me as a woman. Like I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I could see like possibly like you know if you went through a transition or whatever, I could see possibly getting tricked into fucking the older version of yourself. But you were there for the younger version. You were that person. Like how would you yeah. not? I feel like, what was it, Futurama, where he's, you know, he's his own, he's his own um, grandfather. That is somehow more, that's infinitely more believable than that. Like, you know, like you can't be your own dad. That should, you need a, you need a, a go between between (laughs) that. There's got to be some middleman there to, uh, you know, facilitate it. No, this, this is a much better. This is this is much better. This is much more. This is more entertaining because it's less complicated. <laughs> off the bat, just yeah. I mean, I like complicated, but it has to be like sensible. You yes. know. I don't think I wrote it into the actual script. He was supposed to destroy the moon so it looked like a big swastika. Like mm-hmm. that was the. I don't know if that was in the script or not, but that was the idea. Was that he like was he would have like he like he made a crater sized swastika, or the whole moon is just like he he carved out a swastika. Yeah. From the he moon. carved out a swastika, like yeah, he's a, a that's sculptor. pretty. That's, that's even better than when I. That's 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 pretty hard. <laughs> like goddamn, he's a sculptor. Like the swastika was always there. He just had to, you know. <laughs> Dude, I hope someday somebody like maybe Elon Musk could do this. He just goes up in the he just makes a giant smiley face in the sky, or the poo emoji just on the moon, and that's all ever, ever anybody sees for the next several decades because nobody else has the the ability to do that. <laughs> I would love to hear people complaining about that. Like you know, people will complain so hard. Uh, you you put why would you do such a thing? Put the happiness because you know why? Because they'd be jealous. That's why <laughs> William. Yeah, because <laughs> they can't. No, yeah. Well, who's going to stop me? It's not like it's, you know, <laughs> owned by anyone. It's the freaking moon. <laughs> then it causes, like, massive tsunamis just for, just for making a, a small emoji, just an emoji-sized crater in the moon. 
Oh shit. We oh. just wrote, you just wrote a movie. We, that's the movie we need to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think uh, I don't know as far as like what I would do definitely. Kind of the same thing you said, Will, where I would read it out loud. Um, not even necessarily just to not trip over the words, but to hear some of the dialogue. Like, I don't know. It's supposed to be silly, but it, I don't. I'm not super in love with some of the dialogue in there. Like, it's dumb in a way I don't love. So, okay. I don't know. I think the next, uh, you know, depending on what the next movie and genre are. I think I will probably go for a more serious tone. Like, I don't know, do something different. But I, I had a lot of fun writing this stupid yeah. ass Oh, that was script. great. That yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't think we've picked the next movie yet, no. Um, no, so that was a... Uh, yeah, we can kind of move to that. But uh, yeah, the idea is that... Oh, I just, want, I, I just want to say some stuff about your script real quick before we went on to the next thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just like uh, the the parts that I really really loved is like the uh, the voiceover with Ilsa because that really reminded me of Terminator. <laughs> I just I could see it all in my head and exactly like it was in the movie. Um, and then the AM86 line just always gets me. Uh, every time I've read it, every time we've read it, it's just great. <laughs> Thanks, man. Oh, no problem. <laughs> The uh, yeah, so the next episode, which I guess this will be two weeks, um, is what we're shooting, so whatever two weeks is from now, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I this last time I chose the movie and Will chose the genre, so for the next one, we're gonna switch it up, and Will's gonna choose the movie, I'm gonna choose the genre, so I'll let uh, I'll let you take it from here, Will. Yeah, um, so this is the first one that popped in my head, so I, I figure why not do it. Um, we're, since we started with uh, a classic film, we'll do another classic film. Uh, I want to do Harvey with, uh, with uh, James, I can't remember his name, the guy from uh, Rear Window. Fuck. Oh, yeah, I have a film degree. Jimmy... What the fuck? <laughs> name? I can't Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, that was a, a childhood favorite, and I haven't seen it in a while, so I think it would be cool to have an excuse to watch it, and then also to write something to go along with it, because it's about um, a grown man who has a, uh, a invisible bunny friend that walks around with him all the time. And I think that would make good for turning that into whatever genre you think would be great. <laughs> I think my first instinct would be horror. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think we could maybe, if that if that sounds good to you, we can go with that. Like, I totally. I have not seen this movie. Uh, I'm yeah. just looking at the IMDb page here. It's a, it's a comedy drama fantasy, and <laughs> oh. the only thing I've heard about this movie is the big bunny rabbit, and it always just made me think of Donnie Dark. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I assume that maybe uh, what's his name, Rick Kelly, may have taken some inspiration from this movie. For Die yeah. Dark, but yeah, I've not really written any horror scripts, so I think I think that'll be fun to do. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, I guess sh sh does it matter what what genre of horror, like, uh, you know, serious comedy, just just whatever the hell pops into our brains? Yeah, I think it's better to leave it vague, so that way, like, okay. you know, it just. Because we do have very different points of reference for horror specifically, because you are much more of like a horror dude than I am. I like yeah. some horror movies, but you fucking love horror movies. So. Oh, yeah. I love horror movies from bottom of the barrel to, to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think we leave it vague. Just uh, heart, the movie's going to be Harvey, the genre's going to be horror, and the length will be around what, we, around what we've done here. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it's pretty good length, but yeah, so that'll be in two weeks or so. I'm we're gonna have we'll have a guest on. I don't I don't know who it is, but I know you had a friend you said might want to do it. I got some uh, people that I might ask to do it. Yes, definitely. I got some people. 
we got our Twitter and all that shit, so we can put all the information out. But I definitely want to thank Trey for being here for this. I really appreciate it. I hope you had yeah, a thank good time. Fun. Thank you, Trey. I will definitely do it again if you want me to. This was a lot of fun. I love Trey. The one thing I love most is that you really got into your characters, and that was amazing. I I I, I saw Nazi Robot. I couldn't let that. When will this? When will I have this opportunity again? Will maybe never. <laughs> Maybe never. I'm sure we'll have another script with Nazis in it at some point. <laughs> I mean, they're just they're just the best bad guys, you know. They just oh yeah. And who'd have thought they become relevant again? <laughs> <laughs> History, damn it, repeating itself. I mean, you literally take video of all the horrible things they've done, and it's not enough. I don't. <laughs> what more? What more can you do? And now, I don't know if you want to, like, plug your Twitter or something. Like, I I don't know. That's what people do on podcasts, right? Do you have a Twitter? No. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, I, might have, I, I might have a Twitter just to look at other, like, that tweets, but not, I don't use it ever. No. I, I have nothing to plug, Joe. Fair uh, I, just, I just came here for, for the... That was <laughs> the, 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 the kindness of your heart. Yes. And and to discuss all you zombies for all of two minutes because I can, I don't know how I'm the only one that has ever heard of this fucking movie because it is it drives me insane every time I think <laughs> about it. I put in the chat the uh, there's a chart with how it went like how everything connects to each other in the movie and it's it's still it's good enough. Is it more confusing than Primer? I'm say have I seen Primer? Let me see. No that that movie makes sense you know kind of smart <laughs> they, they got they got a, they got a good flow i think in that one i mean it's still crazy but i mean I it's for that one and it's pretty insane that was what reminded me the chart i was like i've seen the chart for that it's like fucking everywhere <laughs> i guess the main point with this one is like how can you fuck yourself and not know like that's just one of the, the the problem with that one is one of you need you one of you would know. Wait a minute, I've I've seen this before. I've been here. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is a, oh god. I've seen these balls before somewhere. <laughs> or I've seen this vagina before. I've seen any part of this scenario before. Something should feel similar. Right. We gotta, we gotta get out of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe do one on this at some point down, way down the line when you, <laughs> and then we can all, we can all just not think straight for a week afterwards. Thank you, thank you for being on here, man. Uh, thank you so much, Danny. Thanks. Do you wanna, you wanna plug your? I know you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter. You wanna plug any of that stuff? Who? You. Oh. oh. <laughs> um, I'm actually not on Twitter. Not um, anymore. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I stopped being on Twitter like a year ago. I, I, like with all the political stuff, I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I, can't, I can't anymore. Um, it's so healthier. I, I am on Instagram. Um, if you'd like to follow me, I make stuff and sell things, and also take pictures of things. Um. <laughs> Interact with me on there. It's cool. My name on Instagram is uh, Decay Danny, and it's spelled exactly, you know, just D A N I. So yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find me. I'm I'm mostly active on Instagram, and that's about it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Will, what do you want to plug? What you got going on? Uh, so let's see. Danny and I also have our other podcast that we do weekly. Uh, why would you show me this? Where we show each other movies that we otherwise wouldn't normally watch and then discuss them. And we also have people like Joe come on and bring movies for us to watch as well. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, that, that uh, Twitter, Zombie Trill on Twitter, Instagram, Zombie Trill, uh, my YouTube channel, Will Krapinski. Type my name in, you pretty much anywhere you'll find my stuff. <laughs> the show itself is going to have. We got a Twitter and an Instagram set up. Both um, this at reboot hell. I will, I will put a link to the other podcast. Put a link to Danny's Instagram, all that stuff. That will do it for this first one. Um, thanks for listening. I hope I had fun. I hope y'all had fun. <laughs>